Have your Bibles. We'll be in Jeremiah chapter 29. We'll hang out there together this morning. And uh, while you're turning there, let me uh, tell you about, uh, we're in our summer vacation series, and um, it was the summer, according to Google, the summer of 1995, and um, I spent part of my summer vacation in the summer of 1995 in Dothan, Alabama. Nobody knows where Dothan, Alabama is, apparently, Okay. Does anybody know where Dothan, Alabama? You got a couple. Some of you guys do, okay. Anybody ever vacationed in Dothan, Alabama? No. You know why you've never vacationed in Dothan, Alabama? Because there's nothing to do in Dothan, Alabama, okay? Uh, in fact, I, I was younger then. Again, I was, like I said just a second ago, I was seven, almost eight. So let that sink in, in 95. But um, we were, uh, well, to give you the story, we, we ended up in, in uh, Dothan, Alabama, but I can't remember what all we did there because uh, I was, it was, that's been a hot minute ago. And so I looked it up on TripAdvisor this week. And do you know what one of the top ranking things to do in Dothan, Alabama is? It's to go around the city and do a scavenger hunt of the peanut statues. How exciting, right? How exciting. That's what Dothan, Alabama has to offer. Okay, so if you're into peanuts or legumes, then Dothan, Alabama, apparently it's the peanut capital of Alabama. So there you go. Uh, but before you think my parents were just really terrible at planning vacations, we ended up in Dothan, Alabama because uh, we didn't want to be there, but we ended up there because of uh, that same summer, there was a hurricane, Hurricane Aaron, that passed through the, the Panama City, Pensacola area. And so we were actually in Panama City uh, on vacation, and then came all the, the mandatory evacuations because there was a hurricane coming. And uh, so we had to retreat in, inland a little bit. And I don't know why we chose Dothan, Alabama. Maybe my parents like peanuts. But we ended up in Dothan, Alabama. Okay? It was not where we wanted to go, but nevertheless, it's where we ended up. Okay? That's where we, I spent at least a couple days of my 1995 summer vacation. So the reason I bring all that up is it. Uh, as, as we continue in our summer vacation series, this is similar to where we find the people of, of God, Israel, uh, in, in Jeremiah 29. Not in Dothan, Alabama, okay, but um, where we find them at is in Babylon. And Babylon was a place where um, they never intended to be. Right? They, they were in exile. It's not a place they wanted to go, not a place they ever planned on going, uh, but this is where God had them. Now, it was a result of their sin and their rebellion and their hard-heartedness, but nevertheless, they find themselves in a place where they never wanted to be, never planned on being, right? So that's where we pick up uh, our summer vacation series this morning. So let me read. We're kind of look at most of the first 14 verses. Uh, read verse 1, and we'll skip down to verse 4 and read through it. Here's what Jeremiah writes. It says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let me jump down to verse 4. Here's, here's uh, Jeremiah's prophesying. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. 
and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. All right, so let's do a little connecting the dots here to kind of talk about where we've been and get us to where we're at this morning. All right. Uh, So the first week we looked at the Garden of Eden and talked about that was the place where God shaped and formed for man, and he put man there purposely, like he was there on purpose and for a purpose, uh, there in the garden. But then sin fractured that. Sin entered into the world and broke everything. And so man and woman were driven out of the garden, away from God's presence. Okay, and then last week, we fast-forwarded a little bit from the garden, and we were in Exodus, and we looked at Moses. And uh, at that point, the people of Egypt, or people of Egypt, the people of Israel were in Egypt. They were enslaved, and God puts a call on Moses' life to lead the people of Israel uh, out of Egyptian slavery right, to, to freedom, eventually uh, towards the promised land. Okay, now, Moses didn't actually lead them to the promised land because of his own sin, uh, but eventually the people of Israel find themselves in this land that God had given to them. Right, and they, they spend time there, but then, uh, not unlike us, the people of Israel uh, take their eyes off of God and, and fix their eyes on uh, lesser gods, or they're not really gods, little g-gods, if that makes sense. Uh, they fix their eyes on, on lesser things, okay? And instead of influencing the cultures and the nations around them, they allow themselves to be influenced by the cultures and the nations around them. And so after a while, because of their sin and their rebellion and their hard-heartedness, they find themselves in exile, right? They've been given over to their enemies. They're captives to the Babylonian Empire, Right, they're in exile, not a place they ever planned on being, not a place they ever wanted to be, but nevertheless, this is the place where they were. But in this text, I think there's, there's three big themes for us to see right, about God and how he works and, and how he works specifically in the places that he puts us. And so the first one, uh, the first big theme is the providence of God. Right, that's a big word, providence. It sounds really fancy. Uh, but what we mean by providence it's just this idea that, that God is sovereign, right, that he's control of all things. Right? Uh, one of my favorite podcast preachers says it this way, God does not drive an ambulance. Right? He doesn't show up on the scene trying to figure out what in the world happened here. Right? God is sovereign, he's in control of all things, uh, but then uh, he's also purposeful in all things. So he's sovereign, he's in control over all things, but, but in everything that he does and he wills, he has a purpose for it. And that's what I mean by God's providence, right? Everything that he controls and everything that he does is for a purpose. It's for the good of his people and it's for his own glory, right? And so this is what uh, kind of the the idea behind Romans 8.28, it's a verse that we love, 
If you're familiar with that verse, it's where Paul's writing and he says, you know, all things work together for the good of those uh, who love God and are called according to his purposes. And we love that verse, right? Because all things work together for good. What we don't always love is that all things sometimes means things that aren't desirable. Right? All things means all things. And sometimes all things are not always good things, at least from our perspective. And so this is kind of what we, we see here, right? That, that Israel finds themselves in a place they never wanted to be, a place they never planned on being. Right? At, at no point, I'm, I'm guessing, at no point did Israel wake up and say, you know what sounds awesome? Babylonian captivity. Right? Like, I, I don't think there was ever a point where they woke up in the morning and were just like, you know what, in my quiet time, I'm just going to pray that the Lord would send us into exile. Like, I don't think they did that. But this is where they find themselves. Right? But it's, even though it's not where they wanted to be, it's where God had them. And yes, it was a result of their sin and their rebellion, but it was still God's providence for his people. And we see this just all throughout this passage. I mean, in, in at least three different places, uh, we see God sending them into exile. So verse 4, he says, I have sent them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's the Lord that sent them from where they called home into captivity. He says again in verse 7, right? He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. This is, this is God's doing, sending them into exile. Verse 14, right? He says that, uh, that, that I have driven you into these nations and the places where, where I've put you, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Even, Israel, even though Israel had no desire to be in exile, God had a desire for Israel to be in exile, right? And if we could just kind of fast forward to, to us today, what, kind of an application point for us. Sometimes the places that we never wanted to be are still the places that God has for us, right? Sometimes the places we never wanted to be are exactly the places that God has for us. The hospital room, the cancer treatment facility, the counseling session. I mean, we could go on and on and on, right? All of us have different lives and different stories and different circumstances. And oftentimes the circumstances that we would never wish upon ourselves are still what God has for us. And they are the place that he's put us on purpose. And we may not understand it, Right? I, I don't understand some of the places I've been. You probably don't understand what God is doing in, in some of the places that you've been. And the reality is, is we may never understand on this side of eternity why God puts us in some of those places. But if we believe that God is sovereign and we believe that God uh, is doing all things on purpose and puts us in places for a purpose and we believe in God's providence, Right, then the reality is, is even the places that we don't want to be are still the places where God has put us. And they're part of his providence for our lives. And if we'll lean into that, even though like, like it's impossible to wrap our heads around that sometimes, but if we'll lean into that, I think it, it gets us that much closer to stepping into the second point, and that's the plan of God. All right, so look at verses 4 through 7. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Listen, this is God's plan for his people in exile. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So what, what's happening here is, is they find themselves in exile. They're in captive. They're held captive by their enemies, right? In a land they never wanted to be in. And it, it seems like, like the, the thing to do there in that place would be to, we're just going to retreat, right? We're, we're held captive. We're in a place we never wanted to be. We're surrounded by a culture that's hostile to us as the people of God. And like the common sense thing would be like, we're just going to retreat. We're going to mind our own business. We're going to keep quiet. We're going to do our own thing. Uh, In fact, the the prophets that that he talks about in verses 8 and 9, like that's what they were encouraging the people to do. We'll talk about them more in just a minute. But the easy thing to do would have been to retreat. And yet what God says is, no, I want you to build houses. And I want you to have babies. And I want you to multiply. And I want you to produce the fruit. Right? And so a couple weeks ago, we're in the Garden of Eden, if you remember that, if you were here for that. And, and we talked about God's purpose for the garden. And I don't know if you remember what it was, but it was in the garden, God told man to, to keep the ground and to work it, to be fruitful, and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. That was, that was man's, that was God's purpose for man. And that was before the fall, right? That's before sin enters the world, before everything is broken and fractured by sin. God's plan is, hey, right, be fruitful, multiply, right? And, and here, Israel, at the height, at the pinnacle of their sin and the consequences of their sin, right? They've been given over to their enemies because of their sin. And at the pinnacle of that, God steps in and, and his plan it, like, it sounds eerily similar to the plan in Eden, right? In Eden, it was be fruitful and multiply, work the ground. And here it's, right, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat the produce, be fruitful, multiply, have children. Right? God's overarching plan for his people has not changed. Right? That's because God doesn't change. Now, circumstances may change, uh, details may change, our lives may change, but God's overarching plan to redeem and restore all of his creation is unchanging. And we see that here in exile, even though Israelites are in a place they never wanted to be, in a place they never planned on being, surrounded by their enemies, God says, hey, my plan for you is essentially the same that it always was. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, Subdue it. Exercise dominion over all these things. That's what he's, he's called them to. But going on, he, the specific word that, that keeps popping up in there is this word welfare. Right? He's, he's given them uh, welfare. He wants them to work for the welfare of the city. And it's just kind of for the good or for the peace of the city. And before I kind of go forward in that, if you follow the history of Israel, like it, it goes back to Genesis 12, 
And in Genesis 12, God has, he calls Abraham. You guys know Father Abraham? He has many sons. Right arm, right? That was my left arm. Right arm, other right. Okay. So God calls to Abraham and he says, hey, I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. I'm going to make a nation out of you. You're going to be a great nation and you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Right? And then you trace that down to, to where we're at now. God's plan is still the same. Because he told Abraham, this nation I'm going to create out of you is going to be a blessing to the world, to all the nations. And here in exile, God's telling the people of Israel, hey, I want you to be a blessing to this nation that you're in. I want you to work for their welfare and for their good. Now back to this word welfare. Uh, it's this, the, the Hebrew word is shalom. It's a fun word to say if you want to go ahead and try it. There you go. You enjoyed that, didn't you? So, this is, okay, I'm getting off track here, but I, the first time I heard the word shalom, I'm a NASCAR fan, and there used to be a guy that would pray before the NASCAR races, and every time he would pray, he would say, uh, amen and shalom. And I never knew what it meant. But anyways, side note, that had nothing to do with anything. I got to get back on track. Um, so shalom, here's what it means. It's this idea of peace, but it's not just like the absence of conflict peace. Uh, the, the word to the original audience in the original language was much more this idea of like comprehensive wholeness. So it's basically this idea that everything is made right. right? It's not just the absence of conflict, but it's that all things are as they should be. So the, what he's getting at here is says, I want you to work for the, the welfare of the city. In other words, I want you to labor to help the city be, be complete and whole and as it should be. It's a, it's a holistic word, if you're following. It's, just, it's not just physical needs, but it's also spiritual needs. right? It's, it's both and. And so what God is calling his people to is I want you to work for the shalom, the peace, the welfare, the physical and the spiritual good of this place where I've put you. Right, now, a lot of times in the church world, I don't know if you guys see this. I see this a lot, kind of studying and, and looking at the landscape of things. Oftentimes, churches will kind of land in one of two places on this. Right, they'll be over here, and they're just going to say, we're just here to preach the gospel. That's all we're going to do. Right, preach the gospel because it's the most important thing. And I would say, yes, the gospel is the most important thing. Right, there is no news better or more important than the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ in our place, for our sins. That is the most important news. Okay, So some churches will land over here and say the gospel is the most important thing. All we're going to do is preach the gospel. All right, and then some churches land over on this side and they say, we're going uh, to work for the good of the community. And, and, and it's more of a, we're just going to work for the, the social benefit, uh, some sort of social uh, reform, like that kind of thing. All right, sometimes it's called the social gospel. Uh, and sometimes churches do that to the exclusion of, of the gospel itself, right? But what I think the, the Bible calls us to is, is we don't have to choose one side or the other, right? We don't have to decide we're only going to preach the gospel or we're only going to work for the good of our community. I, I think like the word of God would call us to both, right? It's not either or, it's, it's both and. Like as the people of God, this is what we're called to, to work for the welfare, the shalom, 
the comprehensive wholeness of the city. And that includes both spiritual and physical. Right? So, so yes, we want to be a church that preaches the gospel and makes much of Jesus right? and, and, and lifts up the name of Jesus so that he can draw men and women unto himself. We absolutely want to do that. And then we also want to roll up our sleeves and work for the good of the city. And, and here's my example for this. Um, it's actually a guy, maybe you've heard of him. His name's Jesus. Is this not what Jesus did? Right? Jesus shows up on the scene, and he, right, he's preaching repentance. He's preaching uh, the forgiveness of sins in, in, in him alone. But then he's also healing, and he's feeding, and he's meeting physical needs. Right? It doesn't have to be a one or the other. It's, it's both and like this is what God called his people to in, in Israel and, and as God's people today, I mean this is what this is what we're called to. To preach the gospel, but to also love our love our neighbor as ourselves, which has some physical implications to it, right? So um, we got the providence of God, we got the plan of God, and then and here's the last thing: the promise of God. So verses 10 through 14. It says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And here's the verse we all know and love and probably have hanging in our house. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So, I didn't read the verses, but again, in verses 8 and 9, what you have is, is God speaking to these prophets and diviners, and he's saying, hey, don't listen to them. And the reason he says don't listen to them is because if you go back and read uh, they were prophesying just a short stay in exile. Hey, you're not going to be here long. It's going to be a couple of years. So, you know, just kind of keep to yourselves, right? This will be over soon. And then God, speaking through Jeremiah, shows up in verse 10. He's like, yeah, don't listen to those cats. You're going to be here a while, right? He says 70 years, right? An entire generation. You're going to be in exile, in captivity, which kind of reshapes um, verse 11, right, the verse that we love. Sometimes we interpret it through this idea of like the American dream. God's going to prosper me and everything's going to be awesome. And we forget that it comes to people that are in exile at that time and will be in exile for another 70 years, right? But the point is that, that God, even though they've sinned and they've rebelled and even though they're, uh, they're where they are because of their hardness of heart in combination with, with God's providence, what we see here is that there's still a promise. So even, they're gonna, even though they're going to be in exile for a long time, they're not going to be there forever. Right? Even though their sin and their rebellion and their hard hearts led them to captivity, what God shows up and says is, no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be there for a while, but, but this is not where you will be forever. And in this, I just think we see it's the grace of God. Right? Israel had done 
I mean, just, you just read through the story of the Old Testament. Like, Israel is a mess. Just constantly back and forth between, oh, we worship the one true God. We're going to worship something else over here. Then things go bad. And they're like, you know, we should probably worship God again. We're back over here and we worship God. And then inevitably they veer off again. Like, just back and forth through the whole Old Testament. Right? And, and yet what we see here is that God is faithful to his promise despite the unfaithfulness of his people. Right? He, he disciplines them for their sin and their rebellion, but he also says there's a promise. that This place I have for you uh, is, is it's not forever. I will deliver you from this. Which, by the way, is, is what God has been doing all along. Back in the garden, no sooner than Adam and Eve had sinned and brought sin into the world and fractured their relationship with God, God says in verse 15 of chapter 3, he's like, I'm going to send an offspring who's going to crush the enemy, deliver you from the penalty of sin. Right? Last week we looked at Egypt, or we looked at Israel and, and in Egypt, right? and God shows up and he promises to deliver them from oppression and slavery. And that's what he does through the hand of Moses. And then here, it, he promises it here, but then it's also true for us today. Right, that the one promised way back in Genesis 3, Jesus has come to deliver us, not from oppression uh, in Egypt, not from captivity and exile, but saved us from, from the ultimate thing we're enslaved to, which is our sin. Right, that's where, where Jesus shows up on the scene. So this, even in this, you see God's plan of deliverance traced throughout the whole Bible. This is his promise. Right, the promise of God here in this text, is to deliver his people. And it's the same promise for us today. God will deliver his people. All who call on the name of the Lord, all who trust in Jesus alone, will be delivered. If you've never done that, I want to invite you into that today. Right? That you would experience the deliverance that God promises here. That, that you would experience that for yourself. But... Um, what we see, man, is, it, is that God's plans are unchanging. His promises never end. But, but here's where I want us to kind of bring this into today. Okay, because we look back at Israel and we think, okay, that's thousands of years ago. What do I do with that? So, so real quick, Second Peter, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2. We looked at it last week as well. Let me read these verses again now. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I don't know if you caught that, but so this is, this is 1 Peter writing to first century followers of Jesus. So different place, different time, but, but they are like us, or I should say we are like them. We, have, we are followers of Jesus. And you, do you see what Peter referred to them as? Sojourners. And exiles. The point being 
that for all who have trusted in Jesus and are followers of Jesus, right, in a sense, we are exiles. Where we are now is not where we are ultimately meant to be. Right, as good as, and I love America, here in a few weeks, we're going to have a cookout on the 4th of July, and we're going to light gunpowder on fire and look at it blow up in the sky, and it's going to be awesome. As good as America is, this is not our ultimate home. We are not ultimately citizens just of this nation. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're a citizen of an entirely different kingdom. We are exiles. We are sojourners. We're just passing through. Right? But that doesn't mean that we withdraw from where we are now. Because as God's people, he's called us to work for the welfare of the places where he's put us. The shalom. I just like saying that word. Right? That's what he's called us to work for. And so I just try to think, what are some tangible examples of, of, of ways we could do this? And then it just hit me. We just did this a couple Saturdays ago. Valley Creek Go. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, we just came together as a church body and we went out into the community and we just worked for the good of people in our community, different organizations, different, uh, different community partners. Right? That's what it looks like to work for the welfare, the shalom, the peace, the comprehensive wholeness of the city. Right? We, we rolled up our sleeves and we partnered with Clarity, right? We, we tried to serve um, young families and, and, and new parents so that they would know that there's a people who love Jesus and love them and want to see them flourish and thrive. We worked with Habitat for Humanity, like building houses. That's like literally what the text says, right? Build houses and live in them. Right? We built houses for some families in our community so that they would have a place to call home. That's what it looks like for us to be on mission doing this type of thing. Right? It's... Uh, like serving Mission Hope for Kids, right? investing in the next generation so that they would, they would flourish and thrive. Right? It's, it's something as simple as donating canned foods for our neighbors next door at Helping Hand of Hope so that people have food to put on the table. And here in just a few weeks, when we start trying to push you guys to uh, help us get Christmas gifts for affordable Christmas, yes, Christmas in July. Um, I mean, we're not going to celebrate Christmas in July, but we're going to push for you to donate some gifts and stuff. It's so that families in our community will be able to give their kids Christmas gifts on Christmas morning. Right? All of these are ways that we work for the, the welfare of our city. Right? But to take it out of, right, like to push it even further, sometimes it's, it doesn't just need to be things that the church organizes. Right? It's us at an individual level working for the welfare and the, the peace and the shalom of the city. So it's, it's stuff like, if you are in the medical field, be the best doctor, nurse, therapist, whatever that you can be. Because a healthy city is a better city. Right? Work, uh, if you work in education, if you're a teacher, right? teach, administer, whatever it is that you do, do it to the best of your ability. Because an educated city is a better city. And if you are a businessman or a businesswoman, right? Man, do all that you can so that your business would grow and thrive because a city with a good economy is a better city. 
Right? This is stuff that all of us, it's, it's not just for some like, higher level of people. This is like everyday people just going into the places where God has put you and saying, I'm going to work for the good of the city, for the welfare, for the shalom. But it's not all just physical stuff. It's also spiritual. Maybe it means inviting your neighbor over for, for a meal to get to know them. Look for opportunities to, to build bridges and have gospel conversations. It could be uh, if, if you live in a neighborhood, maybe just doing a little walk around your neighborhood, praying for the, the people that you come in contact with or praying for the homes and the families that, that live there. It might be uh, the, the next time a coworker shares something with you, like a struggle, you, you pray for them. And like actually pray for them, like not just be like, oh, I'm going to pray for you, man. I mean, like actually like stop where you are and say, hey, can I pray for you right now? That's working for the, the welfare of the city. Right? This is what God has called us to add his people. Not, not either or, not just spiritual, not just physical, both and. This is what the Lord has called us to. That we would live on mission where God has us, knowing that his plans succeed. Right, we, we've seen it already. His plans succeed. And here's the deal. God doesn't need us to accomplish his plans or his purposes. He's perfectly powerful and capable enough on his own. Okay, but, but for reasons that I don't fully understand yet, he's like a father who invites his kids to work with him. Like sometimes I invite my kids to work with me on stuff in the garage, knowing full well it's just going to make my job a lot harder. Okay? But I invite them into that. This is what God has done for us. He doesn't need us, and sometimes we're going to really screw it all up, right? And yet he still invites us to play a part in what he's doing. He invites us to be on mission with him for the city. For the city, for the good of his people, and ultimately for his own glory. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and um, Lord, just thank you for your word. And uh, Father, my prayer this morning is that you would, you would make us a people um, or that, that, that love you above all. Because we love you, we, we want to do what you say, and that's to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And let's make us a people that, that live on mission. That as we go about our week in the different places where you put us, that we would, uh, Lord, that we would live on mission there. That we would do all within our power to work for the welfare, the good of the city. Would help us to have eyes that see like you do. Lord, not to not to retreat in fear or to hold back as if, uh, Lord, you know, we're trying to preserve something, but to engage with the people around us, to engage with the community around us because that's what you've called us to. So, Father, I pray that you would empower us, help us to do that. Lord, we pray and we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.